If the Strictly Band cover Bloodlines, will Apocalypse come? Is there any way to escape Miley Cyrus's bomb? His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on his sweater already, mum's spaghetti. I know what you're thinking, it's a question about Colchester. Uh, And you're right, (laughs) it's a question from Ed from Colchester, but it's about rap battles, that's why I was doing the Eminem thing. Right, but it was a bit slow really to seem like rap rather than just a description of a man with a dirty jumper. This is why I'm Ollie Man and he's Eminem, Helen. (laughs) Ollie Man and Eminem, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Man Eminem, 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 man. Eminem man, Eminem man. Sounds a bit like Enema. It does. Yeah. He's probably had to contend with that, and that's why he's so angry a lot of the time. Uh, again, I think it's best we stick Holly to the man, Enema of the people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ed from Colchester has written to us about rap battles. Right. Uh, he says At school, we had a talent competition. I done a rap battle with a friend. <laughs> It went well. I'm surprised because your linguistic skills don't suggest it would necessarily. Uh, (laughs) But uh, one of the older teachers, a certain Mr. Foster, made a rap against us. Hmm. What's Mr. Foster playing at? Trying to put the shoe on the other foot. Is he trying to be a cool teacher? Uh, Ed says, it was not that good and was a bit offensive. Like most rap. So, says Ed, I came up with a rap back... Uh, and this is this is how it went. I'm going to try and emulate it for you in a rap style. <laughs> What's wrong, Foster? You smell like a dead man in Costa. What? Wow. As, it, as in Costa Coffee? Yeah, I think so. Weird. Wow, you smell good, man. You're an imposter. Yeah, harsh. Huh? Bam! You, you taught my dad English, old man. Come on, let's hear your retirement plan. Now, stop offending me. I can beat you up like Bruce Lee. Like a dead man. Old man versus dead man. The old man's going to win. I mean, it's not bad if you'd have come up with it on the spot. But what concerns me, actually, is that Ed's question is, Helen, oh. answer me this, should I do it? So, in other words, he's premeditated a rap battle, a freestyle rap battle. A rap that contains a threat of violence. Uh, the whole point of freestyling is that it is freestyling. The moment has passed, Ed. Exactly, yeah. I think if you're going to spend as much time as Ed has already premeditating your battle raps, then they ought to be a little bit better than this. Exactly, because I mean, instantly now an audience is thinking, well, is Costa a place you typically see dead men? I've I've never seen that. Unless you're that kid in the sixth sense, because you see dead people everywhere. That's true, but would they smell differently, you know, with the lingering scent of custard creams in the air? No, it's just a dead man smells bad anyway. (laughs) They'd probably smell better in Costa, if anything. Yeah. Does Mr. Foster smell, or have you just made that up for a convenient insult? Actually, well, I think this is a crucial part of this, actually, because Mr. Foster, he sounds quite game, doesn't he? He joined in with the rap battle, even though he knew that he was going to lose that rap battle, because the audience decide who wins in a rap battle, and frankly, the teacher's never going to win. He still (laughs) stepped in. (laughs) He still stepped in and took on the kids. I think that shows sportingness. Nonetheless, if your rap battle comeback is based around the fact that he does actually smell, that he Mm. has an unpleasant odour... that's the area you don't go into, isn't it? As a, mm. as a, even a mouthy child. We had a physics teacher who stank. Yep. Um, and everyone used to make a joke about how the Bunsen burners were stinking the room out. Uh, but no one would ever actually tell him directly that he smelt because he, he really did. Also, the line, you know, I want to hear your retirement plan. Sounds good because what he's saying is you're so old you should be retired, man. But actually, you're giving the opportunity there for Mr. Foster to rap back, aren't you? A really boring rap yeah. as well. Well, I'm getting a timeshare in Yorkshire and I plan to do some walking. Yeah. Well, well, you're still doing your GCSEs, kid. Yeah, exactly. I'm expecting full state pension <laughs> in every dimension. Um, so I think you're inviting your own rap battle slam down comeback there from Mr. Foster again. I'm going to retire early for fun. Then I'm going to fuck your mum. <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, Bitch. Zingo. <laughs> You'd probably be quite good at uh, 
Cause rap I, battles though the thing is I love to extemporise lyrics but I don't really have the necessary rhythm or speed but I, I think because you're physically surprising because A you're a lady <laughs> and B you don't look like other lady rappers I don't I think no most a, of them a, don't look like rotund white women <laughs> in a rap battle <laughs> I think you'd instantly get the crowd on side just by like do, it's a bit like when the teacher joins in that's exactly the vibe you give off you it'd know? be like if Sandy Toxvic did a rap exactly yeah, <laughs> people would just be naturally warm to that maybe you know is that an unfair advantage though I think it is using my physique like and this is the problem with when Vernon Kay used to do funny dancing on telly why too good looking yeah it's just like well he's the kind of guy you'd expect to do serious dancing do you know what I mean Mm. and so him doing cheesy dancing oh look at me aren't I I zany and wacky it's like well not really no because you don't if you were Johnny Vegas it would be funnier wouldn't it do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you're just like, oh, yeah, well, of I, course you can dance. You're Vernon Kay. I think also the problem was that he was Vernon Kay and nothing he does is inherently interesting. Mm. Worth holding on to that kind of observation for your epic rap battle, though. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're like Vernon Kay in that nothing you do is inherently interesting. Slam. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> Vernon Kay is not the best. Where is the interest? <laughs> My name's Katie. I'm calling from Christchurch. And last night I had a party, as I sometimes do. But my parties tend to be pretty low-key because I like to go to bed at 10. And my question is really, how do you get people to leave your house when you're hosting them? Um, it's happened a lot, not just when I want to go to bed at what might be an unreasonable hour for normal people. Um, but, you know, you have a party and you think it might be a few hours long and then there are people still there. And you love them. They're great people. But you really want to get on and do other stuff. And last night I really wanted to get on and sleep. So, Helen Nolly, answer me this how do you get people to leave your house nicely? Thank you. Okay, uh, since you put in the proviso nicely, I'm going to have to revise what I was going to say because you could start turning all the lights up very bright, turning the music off, starting to clean up, coming out in your pyjamas yawning. <laughs> uh, those are a little passive-aggressive, aren't they? Well, yes, they are, but they work, don't they? I mean, what essentially you're describing there is the technique of emulating uh, what you see in a professional establishment uh, where mm. a bouncer might come up to you and be like, lads, drink up. Bars closing yeah. now, yeah. Yeah. All that. Lights when, going yep. up, like you say. Chairs on tables. Yes. I mean, you can, I think, in your own house party, have an element of that. But you can't shut the bar and no. you can't stop flashing the lights. Well, you can take the wine and spirits and put them in the kitchen. Yeah, but everyone's in the kitchen. You can get the hoover out. Oh, That's a pretty clear indication, isn't it? Uh, but I've got a couple of ideas for you, Katie. And I think I'm on your side because uh, I am rubbish at parties. And I think one of the things would be when you invite people, give them a time say you know you know how people say carriages at 8 p.m yeah carriages that's carriages. a funny i mean it's carriages wanky but it's wanky but it's also like if you do it in an ironic way it's, wanky. A, it's funny yeah faux wanky yeah you're on side there <laughs> yeah or have a tea party because then people might have supper plans they need to leave anyway mm. and even if the party's a rager and goes on for 10 hours it's still bedtime at a reasonable hour because yeah, it was you, a tea party you do seem incredibly square though don't you i, I mean, don't i not she you does anyway one. no she I, does am. Anyway. I am square yeah i'm saying this from the point of view <laughs> of a fellow square but it's good in a way that you're right to have an end time because if someone said i'm having a house party between 8 and 11 p.m yeah there'd be none of this crap about like oh it says eight so people won't start arriving till nine yeah. i'll get there about 10 30 because then of course you're gonna be there till one in the morning yeah. but if you knew mm. it finished at 11 you would get there at half eight wouldn't you yeah it would resolve the other issue for the person holding the party, mm. which is that the people you don't really know very well, usually the neighbour and a friend of a friend, turn up first. Yes. And you're not drunk and you have to make small chat with them all and they don't get on. Now, the tricky thing I have, though, is when everyone leaves at a very obliging time of the party, except for one or two people. Mm. And they stay for hours and they're not necessarily the people you have the most amount of chat with and they might have red wine mouth. I suppose, actually, if the person that's like falling asleep and still hanging around Mm. is so drunk they won't remember what they're doing, 
you could book them a taxi and then just say, oh, the taxi you booked is outside. Mm. They won't remember whether they have or haven't booked a taxi and they'll probably be grateful that you flagged it up to them because they wouldn't want to miss their taxi. Or you just need to wait until all of your friends are parents and they have to go home because the babysitter is 15 (laughs) and they need to go home because it's a school night. Here's a question from Toby from York who says, Helen, answer me this. Have you ever used one of the spare buttons that comes with every shirt and jacket you buy? Yes. Next question. (laughs) I'd say yes as well, but he goes on. Uh, It's occurred to me that the clothing industry could say millions of pounds yes a plausible amount uh, by accepting the fact that people don't sew buttons onto their shirts anymore that's a very blanket statement that i object to that's right indian children do Uh, and it would what they do and it would also make ironing easier as those buttons attached to labels on shirts get on my nerves well toby when you get the shirt cut it off and put it in your button jar yeah and then when your shirt loses a button think well this is a good shirt I shouldn't dispose of it as the clothing industry does uh, take a great environmental toll and waste is terrible and someone probably slaved in a sweatshop to make this shirt. Mm. It's my duty to wear this shirt until it falls apart on my back. Sew the button on. It takes two minutes to sew a button on. Um, but do, do you think that um, Toby thinks that uh, you are in fact supposed to leave the buttons sealed on the shirt and therefore is he the kind of person that also leaves the silica gel in the shoes and walks around <laughs> with that in as well? And he also leaves his jacket pocket sewn up. <laughs> because... Hell, why don't you cut off all the buttons off the front of your shirt as well to make the ironing even easier <laughs> i personally actually have never sewed a button on i'd like to do that yeah that doesn't surprise me though because in many ways ollie you're unreconstructed go on i think in some ways you're a surprisingly feminist and feminine man but this strikes me as the kind of way in which you're a 70s man you think I, it's because I expect my girlfriend or mother to do it for me. No, if, I just think fact, you don't expect yourself to do it and you haven't delegated it to your girlfriend or your mother because you're not that kind of sexist. Yes. But you have not assumed the mantle of a button sewer on her. I think that's probably it. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, what I do is is I take it to Oxfam when the button falls off and I think, well, there's, there's a woman there who could do it <laughs> So that is pretty... Do you give them the spare button? Um, I don't know. I don't think about that. I just assume there's a button jar in Oxfam. I don't think about... I don't think, <sighs> Helen. That's what we're learning. I don't think. You've got a question. Email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Here's a question from Daniel in West Sussex. He says, Ollie, answer me this. Why do Michelin give out stars to restaurants and things when Michelin is a tyre company? Why should people trust a tyre company about good places to eat? <laughs> okay, before I answer the question, I'm just going to say you did very well with your pronunciation. Michelin. Very nice. Michelin. I am going to be saying Michelin, Michelin. for the rest of this because I'm English. Michelin. Mich- it's Mar- Michelin, Mar- isn't it? It's Michelin. <laughs> is Michael in? That is how I say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I but I, I, it's always very difficult, that, I think, because you, you, there's the danger of sounding pretentious, isn't there, by saying things, saying something properly in French? Uh, yeah, it's awkward, isn't it, when people overpronounce? Yeah those things they're like I'm joined by Michel Flaubert on the phone who says this and you're like oh come on you're English you're English don't do that but you did very nicely it's very nice I just well I'm embarrassed I couldn't do that um so is it is this just a marketing wheeze by Michelin to to distinguish them from the other tyre companies yes essentially right I mean it's a very clever bit of brand association when you think about it because it came they came up with it in 1900 wow so probably before the nude Pirelli calendar to distinguish them from tyre companies that don't send out post calendars of naked models yes I think that's right yes mm. because I think a, a nude calendar in 1900 would look rather different to the uh, 1960s well, calendar we know and love it would have just been pictures of marble statues wouldn't it or bits of ankle yeah steady pretty strong stuff wrists 
Um, <laughs> but Back of neck. I suppose yeah. the, the implicit um, advertising message behind them distributing what was then a free guide to France for the motorists mm. uh, was motorists get around and about. They yes. go to the best places. They didn't have TripAdvisor then either, so you could check on a smartphone on the road where to go. Correct. You had to plan. So uh, it was kind of saying, look, you know, with public transport, you're limited to the places you can go. With okay. a car, you can go to all these exciting places, places in towns you've never been to before. We're mm. going to tell you about where all those places are. With And it was a bit more car-focused in the initial yeah. days, so it, it had maps in it and it had lists of retailers and stuff that sold car accessories. All very useful. Um, and so they were saying, like, you know, this is the indispensable guide to be a motorist in France. And I guess the brand association is if you're a motorist in France, you indispensably need Michelin tyres. So that's basically what they were doing. Hmm. Um, but then the, the restaurant bit of it kind of got a bit of a reputation, I guess, because hmm. it's French and the French like their food a lot and they like ranking uh, restaurants, as it turned out. And so uh, that became the most... Uh, high profile bit that the guide did and over time people forget the fact that actually still it's a guide for hotels and restaurants everyone forgets about the hotels they almost might as well not bother making tyres anymore I'm not sure how much money they actually make from the guide though and I'm mm. sure they make quite a lot of money from the tyres because I've okay. got Michelin tyres on my car and uh, it's, well, it's your, a... your four tyres are not going to keep them in not convinced food. not convinced about that Helen <laughs> it was right. quite a lot uh, of money <laughs> I, I expect actually the Michelin guide itself costs quite a lot to upkeep because they send these anonymous inspectors the restaurants tend to be quite expensive they do uh, and yes the inspectors pay for their own meals but one whistleblower who uh, had previously served as a michelin inspector wrote an expose about this about a decade ago Whoa. saying essentially they used that reputation that you just mentioned the fact mm. that they, they always pay for meals no one knows who they are to actually cloak over the fact that there aren't really nearly as many inspectors as yeah. they say there oh are. really so a lot of the information is out of date and apparently there's a real bias towards a like, certain kind of french food there is a lot of flack against the michelin guide actually for being food conservative isn't there and it's not all french style stuff but i have noticed a certain similarity in the michelin starred establishments that i have eaten in oh how many have you been to it turns out and i was surprised it was this many i've been to seven crikey Uh, i know i've I've only been to four and i i'm i would argue more into eating out than you are you are and you're a lot more fancy than i am thought Um, she was gonna say fat there no fancy (laughs) you live the life but the thing they all have in common is that at the time i thought the food was really good and Mm. immediately afterwards and ever since couldn't remember anything about it Okay, well, one of the four that I've been to is the Fat Duck. And I could, right, I could tell you in that, quite right. a lot of vivid detail every course that I had at the Fat Duck. The little whiskey bottle. <laughs> I won't, because it gets boring Nitrogen. to anyone who hasn't been there. But that, that's... <laughs> they, they just hit you over the head and then uh, play you a tape of things you ate and then wake you up and you think you've had it all. But also, that costs as much money and takes almost as long as mm. a mini break. So oh, that right. is a bit like me describing my holiday rather than just going out for a meal. Yeah, that's but you're right. Value. I've been to Petrus, which you? is you know widely regarded to be one of the absolute number. Even on TripAdvisor, Petrus is the number one restaurant in London. Yes. Uh, by the way, number two restaurant in London according to TripAdvisor is a fish and chip shop called Bailey's in Fulham. So oh. that shows where the crowdsourcing differs from the Michelin Guide. But I can't remember anything that I actually ate at Petrus. Whereas at that fish and chip shop. You You'd fish, remember the you fish, yes. Chips. You'd remember the fish and chips you went. Yeah, I, all I remember from these michelin star places is that I had a very long, thin piece of pork crackling, like a knitting needle. Oh, that sounds good. That was good. But, but not you know, good the- if you've ordered it. That's often the case, isn't it? Small portions. I know that's a stereotype, but very often, Nouvelle Cuisine places, it is the case that it sounds great on the menu because the description is five sentences long and you <laughs> order it and it is the size of a thumbnail. And it's just like... Can I just take this opportunity to air one of my myriad linguistic bugbears? Go on. It's when people over-describe food when they're ordering it. Mm. So they don't just say, I'll have the lamb. They'll say, 
I'll have the Kentish marsh-fed lamb with the uh, cream potatoes and the tender stem broccoli and the thing garnished with things. You see, now this to me sounds like uh, inverse snobbery because the people that are doing that, they're trying to be aspirational. They're trying to match the standards that are given well, them by the menu. they're just unaccustomed to eating at exactly. Exactly. No, And they're just reading from the menu. One of them is you, Martin. Exactly, they're just re- I'm just reading from the menu. I'm unaccustomed to eating at posh restaurants and I would stop after the lamb. Yeah. Because I know that the waiter's time is not infinite. But then it is the fault of the restaurants for using such florid language. Oh, then I you... mean, what is a jus? It's meat juice. Why not just say... Meat juice. With, I suppose if you say meat juice, it doesn't sound very nice, does meat it? Meat juice. But why say it at all? Like, right. It makes no difference. You don't know, oh, well, now it's got jus on it. I'm going to order it because I wasn't going to order it before. At the far end of the florid menu description syndrome is ones like St. John's where it's just like meat turnips yeah. <laughs> and first you don't really know what you're getting and secondly when a plate of meat and turnips turns up you're a little disappointed yeah. <laughs> that it's just meat and turnips and yet that is what they told you you were having I don't think I've ever been to a really good restaurant and had something that didn't taste good that's the idea that's my mission review <laughs> tastes good what's the best meal you had is it a uh, fat duck well, I would have to say the Edgware branch of Nando's, <laughs> followed by the Fat Duck. No, I think... Do they well, give you macho peas? Well, I don't know if the Fat Duck is the best meal I've ever had. It's like the most entertaining experience I've yeah. ever had eating, but that's mm. something a bit different, really. It's amazing, but it's an experience. If I had to choose a dish that I'd have every day for lunch, it wouldn't be something from the Fat Duck, no, it's no. all quite rich and weird. Of course. Yeah. It's yeah. more of a cerebral experience than a, an eating one as well, isn't it? Yeah, like, exactly. In essence. I'd probably, like, if I was going to choose something that I'd have every day, it would probably be a really posh buffet in a five-star hotel so I could be a massive pig yeah (laughs) I always wanted my website to look pretty but with my rudimentary skills it always looked shitty how can I make it all modern and stylish and witty well I'll tell you with squarespace.com there's tons of templates to use and loads of fonts and plugins and colors to choose it only took me 20 minutes to build my shrine to tom cruise the thinking man's crumpet yes thank you very much squarespace for supporting this episode of answer me this and also allowing ollie man to beautify his own website that's right yeah i've been having a crack at the old squarespace i've designed ollieman.com it's the first uh, brick in my my future empire of <laughs> web design yeah um, it's, it's nice thank you yeah it does look nice and they've got they make it very easy there's lots of templates to choose from on squarespace and uh everything you can just copy and paste basically so i had a wordpress blog yeah I just copied and pasted whole chunks of my WordPress blog. Not even the bits that are coded, but the way it looks to punters. Wow. Just copy it and paste it into Squarespace, does the links and everything. Wallop done. Yeah, that's good. I'm happy. And you have no idea how to code, do you? No idea. I'm a functional idiot. And yet you you now have a functional website. (laughs) That's right. So if you listeners would like a functional website, uh, all you need to do is go to squarespace.com. You get a two-week free trial you get that whoever you are, by the way. This is not our special offer, this bit. You can just go and play. Everyone everyone is special for Squarespace. And you don't have to put in your credit card details, so you can just you can just play straight away. And then if you decide to pay for it after that, at that point, we get you 10% off. So um, enter the code ANSWER10, answer as in the 10. number 10, not the word 10. Yes. Hello, hello, Molly. It's Sean from Bristol here. I was just wondering, why do planets in our solar system have normal names like Mars, Venus, and names. But when you go outside of our solar system and out to the other planets in the galaxy, they all have weird names like BX4Q and MN3P or stuff like that. Did you ever see that? Bye. Well, Sean, until 1919, whoever discovered the planets could name them. 
usually. And so they went for kind of Greek and Roman goddy names for the ones within our solar system. Yeah, it's an important discovery, isn't it? Like, even if you always wanted to call something Spike, (laughs) Lampy... You wouldn't, would you? Because Planet-o. at the point you discover Venus, you would think, oh, it's quite a big deal, isn't it? It's a planet that's quite near our one. We might be on yeah. it one day. But someone did go for Uranus, didn't they? Yeah, that is funny, isn't it? And then yeah, they were like, let's, let's reboot this. Uranus. <laughs> that's better, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, 1919, though, uh, this free choice disappeared because the International Astronomical Union formed... And I hate those guys. Everyone does, actually. They seem like real killjoys. Oh, ruin the party. And uh, there are over 11,000 members in 90 countries, and uh, they are the internationally recognised authority for assigning names to planets and moons. Oh, and no, other so they're, they're the icon bodies. of space. Yeah, pretty much. So what they've done, I think, is just made it a lot more difficult to name a planet. So it gets its technical name of the numbers and the letters that is just very unmemorable, and then they just can't bloody agree mm. on something better to call it. But they could, couldn't they? Nowadays, you could have a poll, couldn't you? Well, actually, Ollie, that is what is happening. As of August, (laughs) following a campaign supported by William Shatner... Oh, uh, well, the greatest astrophysicist of our time. They they will be accepting submissions from the public and also allowing the public some kind of input into the decision. but it's going to be all nerds, isn't it? Because if Shatner's back the campaign, they'll all be called Spock, won't they? Well, no, there have been attempts to name planets, uh, Star Trek-themed names, and they haven't gone very well, Mm. like Vulcan and and so on. But they've got over 800 planets that need names, so I think they've realised that the Union themselves aren't going to tackle all of those. I mean, they'll run out of dog names after about 20. There's just a real dangerous that you, you make contact with sentient life and you have to explain to them why we've named their planet Contour. If you, if you allow free reign to the public, yeah. yeah well, it's I'm not- sorry we called you Planet Shitto. <laughs> well, yes, but actually when it comes to the Star Trek thing, which does make me cringe as well, mm. I think, well, that makes me cringe, but in the same way that it wouldn't make me cringe at all if someone said, well, we're naming this planet Juliet after Romeo and Juliet yeah. mm. you know it is a work of cultural significance in 500 it? years time people will have forgotten that it was Star Trek rather than something quite mythical and oh, amazing Star Trek will be very well appreciated indeed I indeed. mean and there's nothing wrong with naming one planet after Star Trek but you can't name them all after geek fanboy things because if, geek fanboys are ruining everything yeah but often they will they will name all of the moons of a planet after a specific thing like say Shakespearean tragedies yeah so that's kind of geeky it's just more credible geeky yeah, but it's, it's stood the test of time geeky as well, isn't it? Like, in the same way, it would be okay just, I think, to name a planet after the Beatles, mm. but probably not so much after well, Chakademus and Pliers. Saturn would be Ringo, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there are some guidelines, Ollie, if you want to submit a planet name. It must be 16 characters or less, and preferably one word. So if you were going for Bitty McLean, you'd have to el- elide it. Uh-huh. Um, no pet names, no business names. Uh, no pet names? Nope. No oh, well, Coco. That's all of my ideas gone. Well, you could name your pets after planet or after <laughs> planet-sounding things. Uh, names that are pronounceable in as many languages as possible and not offensive in any language or culture. So no that, such word exists. That really narrows it down. So you couldn't call the planet after your cat Coco because I think Coco means shit in Brazil. Even prominent physicists have funny names. Well, Professor Cox. I mean, when you think about it. Uh, and you're also not allowed names that are commercial in nature. So you couldn't call it Planet Pepsi. Again, I wonder if with the right amount of money they mm. could challenge that. Or you could just uh, call your thing Jupiter and then you've already got a planet named after you. You've got the biggest one. That's true. What about Mars Does that mean you rename Mars? Yeah. Oh, good point. And Venus the Razor. <laughs> a mercury poisoning. Helen Ollie, answer me this. 
heal me and don't take the piss. Give me a clue to what I'm asking. Then in your awesome knowledge I'll be basking. What's in some man? I'm so alone. No one to email. No one to email and no one to phone. Where can I get new friends from? Answer me this question from Andy who says someone has just offered to buy me a shisha pipe well why are you writing to us that's a really exciting offer <laughs> Ollie answer me this is this a really exciting offer <laughs> yes no, not his question he says I've never smoked anything other than a ciggy when tanked up to the eyeballs but a friend says it will reduce my stress mm. I have quite a stressful job I'm sorry Andy so it seems appealing but I'm trying to weigh up the risks of dying from cancer versus dying from stress oh. so, mm. so Ollie answer me this what do you reckon? I'm 43. I do quite fancy the idea of apple-flavoured smoke. Oh, so cancer's fine then. Um, are, are those carcinogenic shishas? Because the smoke is a bit more dispersed, isn't it? It's filtered through water, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the jury's out. Some, oh. some people say, yeah, it, the smoke passes through water so it's not as harmful. Other people, including the World Health Organization, say, well, that's a theory, but you haven't got any evidence for that. Oh, and the amount evidence. of <laughs> and the amount of smoke that you're actually inhaling in each session is dramatically increased when you have shisha pipe versus smoking a cigarette, because mm. the average uh, puff of a cigarette apparently a smoker smokes between eight and twelve puffs of a fag, which is uh, 0.5 to 0.6 liters of smoke. Uh, but uh, when you're having an hour-long shisha session, because right. that's when you sit there for ages, you might take 200 drafts. Uh, wow. which could be up to a litre of smoke each. And I guess the fact that the tobacco comes in fun, fruity flavours makes it a bit more palatable to smoke loads of it. Yes, but I would counter this by saying, yes, I get that, and I understand the maths. You're not going to sit and smoke for an hour, well, really, you might, are you? but it's probably an hour at the most a month, isn't it? It's probably, in my case, an hour every three years. And so it's better it? than smoking. Exactly. Usually. Usually. And also, it gets a bit gobby and disgusting oh. after a while, so then you don't smoke as much. Hmm. And... I've normally been drinking as well when I'm smoking shisha, and I reckon in the long run that's probably doing worse things to my system than the shisha pipe is. But also, mm. would a normal shisha pipe relax Andy, or is he hinting that he's going to be using this like a bong? Oh, I th- like a, a bong that it's okay to have in his living room because it looks like he's travelled. Do you know I actually hadn't considered that? Because otherwise, why would it relax him? But you're absolutely right. That must be a common mm. subversion of the form. Mm. I mean, it's actually quite a complicated question, isn't it? Because He's right, he's going to be damaging his health in one way, but your friend is probably also right that you might find it relaxing. But then you might find going out for a walk relaxing. That's the thing. And that is less carcinogenic. Unless WHO has decided that it is bad for you to have a walk. (laughs) Or to stroke a cat or to do some knitting. I just think if stress is Andy's problem, then there isn't really a single quick fix. He's got to try and find some ways to counteract his stressful lifestyle. So... Mm. Because I'm a big smoking square and I just can't see the appeal and there may be medical consequences that have not been confirmed yet, maybe he should seek some stress counselling or see if he can adjust things at work or find some hobbies that allow him to vent more. Yeah, or just enjoy the other benefits of a Lebanese restaurant. Oh, good point. Uh, because actually, and actually, this is a good point, isn't it? If you're there and you're smoking a shisha pipe, yes, you're doing bad things to your lungs. But you're eating broad beans, which exactly. usually aren't that palatable. <laughs> Chickpeas, tahini. It's As basically well, good can, for you, isn't it? You often get a lot of radishes. Lay off the bread and the halloumi. That would be the real concern for me. It was unlimited halloumi. That would be the thing that would kill me in the long run. So, but he's talking about getting one for home, isn't it? So yeah. the equivalent would be yeah. to, for him to learn to make falafel, which I think could be better. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us to an end, listeners, of this week's Answer Me This. Yeah. Really? Wow. Quite a flash, isn't it? Mm. Flash. But, listeners, uh, if you want to contribute to a future episode of Answer Me This, you need to send us 
questions. Yep. There are many ways in which you can do that. E.g. phone, email, Skype, and all of our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Where you can also buy our albums. Uh, Holiday, Sports Day, and Jubilee are exclusive, one-off, one-hour episodes of Answer Me This that are all about a special thing. Oh, yes. Uh, in the case of uh, Sports Day, it's about sports. Jubilee is about the Royal Family and Holidays. It's about holidays. Not rocket science. We've not done one about rocket science yet. We haven't. Because uh, we are not qualified to do that <laughs> anyway. I mean, sport one. was stretching it. Yeah, I think we got away with it. Yeah. But rocket science, Martin could do it maybe, but who would... I could do some... I could do a bit of rocket science. <gasps> An hour of it, though? Maybe not. I'll get um, bored. I'll, even I'll get bored. Anyway, listeners, uh, see you next week. Bye! Bye.